<laughs> Yay! Wow. That's one enthusiastic mofo right there. All right. Whoa. Welcome to Guitar Wank. Yeah, where you been, guys? Yay! Yeah, where have they been? Where you guys <laughs> been? We've been here. There's Brucey Foreman. The sound effects? Brucey Foreman in the background there. Mr. Scotty Foreman. Mr. T. Roy McCubbin. <laughs> wow. How are you guys? Are Bruce is going to play something? No, no. I'm just going to make sure my guitar doesn't have to hear this. <laughs> Man. I'm putting earmuffs on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How are you guys? Good, man. Just busy as hell. Isn't it crazy? I feel like I'm busy as hell, too, at the moment, which is I great. I feel like I'm busier than I was before this stupid pandemic hit. <laughs> I'm feeling it kind of a... I'm sensing we're getting through it. I'm feeling that's an inconvenience for me because I'm going to have to get back to more of a normal life. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I'll be driving down to Hollywood to teach again instead of teaching the guys online. But Bruce, whatever. Bruce, you've got dates coming up, like recording dates. Yeah, I have a recording date. Of course, it's socially distanced and careful and, you know, testing and all that shit you know it's like i have a private proctological exam right beforehand <laughs> and everything but uh but the but, but you you the, volunteered the, for that one right play, it's gonna sound the same so it's gonna be great you know <laughs> didn't you volunteer for that exam <laughs> well you know yeah i've actually paid money for it but that's another thing hey um, put your hand up if you've been vaccinated i got both fine <laughs> yeah, me and Bruce are half. Scotty's done. I'm a half axe motherfucker. <laughs> uh huh. The second shot knocked me on my ass. Really? But, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I was out for a day. Was it a Pfizer? Moderna. Oh, I got the Pfizer. Yeah. Maybe that'll be different. Not, not really that bad. No fever, but just that really fluish kind of feeling where you just no energy. And I'm, that's all I, I couldn't hardly get out of bed. It was just really a bad day. But then the next day it was gone. It was fine. Oh, well, that's good. So they say that's good. If you have a reaction to it, that means it's working. Right. So, yeah. As long but, as it doesn't um, kill you. But you know, grandma had her second shot and didn't feel a thing. And my pharmacist had his second shot. He didn't feel a thing either. So I guess, who knows? Everyone individual. But it definitely knocked me on my butt, that's for sure. <laughs> it was like a hard day. Hold it. Did you, did you get it in the butt? No, no, no. I got it in the arm in my car at Dodger <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> no, but did you get it in the butt? <laughs> well, not recently. Not since I last saw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i feel like we're all opening up and we're carefree again and it's still spiking <laughs> yeah man i geez who knows what's going to happen we're still looking at a hopeful march tour but nobody really knows nobody's saying march net sure, yes. march 22 scott is that what you're talking about yeah march 22 and and people are still saying maybe yes maybe no because the thing isn't so much about the promoters, it's about the countries, whether they're going to let you in. 
because you can't be you can't be flying around Europe if you have to vac if you have to uh, quarantine for ten days in a country before you can play. No, <laughs> there goes all your profit. You know, spent on hotels and ten days off. So got to wait till that whole thing is over. So nobody really knows the, the my friends in Europe, but the guys I play with and others that I know in Europe are all saying kind of the same thing that it's going kind of slow over there, a lot slower than it is here because they don't have as much of the vaccine as we do because we've selfishly taken it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so they're waiting longer to get it. And they don't know, like, even though it's the European Union, each country has its own, own rules thing. and regulations right. about who they're going to let in and when. And you can't really do a tour of Europe until you know, like, if you're going to run into a problem, c going from Italy to Germany, say, or Germany to Italy, if they're going to say no, you know, you're going to have to quarantine, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, or who knows, man, it's really up in the air. So is Nam. Yeah. And they're talking about canceling Nam for the second year in a row. Ah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be doing Nam again. So, you know, it's it's still we're still in the middle of this thing. Yeah. And as far as what we know and what we can plan for. I rec I recently so. went to Costa Rica, so I flew out of the country and getting there and that was fine, but coming back you had to have and it was the Costa Rican government saying that we had to be checked before we went back. So we had to have the the swab in the nose. That is the most asshole test I think I've ever experienced in my life. It is just an asshole of a test. It's horrible. Really? I, I think I'd rather have an asshole swab than up the nose. That was really uncomfortable. And we had to pay like 50, 100 bucks each to get it done. But you didn't have to quarantine or anything, right? No, you didn't have to quarantine. But now that I'm, well, half vaccinated, I'm wondering what the what these travel restrictions will be like. Will you still have to get tested even though you've been vaccinated? Well, I don't know. I just know that what they're working on in Europe is a new passport uh. that has your vaccination stamp in the passport. It's part of the passport. Wow. You know, and they may do that here too. Yeah. Even though the guys, when I got vaccinated, they said that card that you have that shows that you've been vaccinated twice that's yeah. your travel card until they do this passport thing. You know, it's sort of like your temporary travel card. Oh, that, and, that card, I've been, I've been photocopying that card and selling them on eBay. <laughs> I'm making a shitload of money. Like, it's All fantastic. Right. I'm really capitalizing on this. this well, you're whole not pandemic. spending on clothes. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> I've got a barbecue stain on my t-shirt <laughs> i'm spending money on gear because i am making money the old-fashioned way like the real way where the money comes into your bank and <laughs> it's like okay it's money but i don't have any deductions because normally <laughs> i'm writing off about 20 to thirty thousand dollars off a year in flights and hotels and overweight and all this shit and now I'm writing off nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, but you're not making as much either. I'm not making, no, I'm not making as much, but yet I'm making a lot. I, I, to pay 20% on what I'm making, which is what we pay in taxes approximately, it's a lot of money. Yeah. So I, I, I have, I've been buying gear like crazy. <laughs> what, I have you, a, 
Well, I bought one of those X1s, uh, Dynamount X1s, where it moves the mic by Wi-Fi. Oh, wow. And it's really cool. I really have learned a lot from having it. It's a really cool tool. Pete Thorne told me about it. What, it's also, like a motorized uh, thing? It's a motorized thing that goes on top of the mic stand, and then you put the mic on top of that, and then you set it at zero, like set the mic right in the middle of the cone, exactly in the middle. And then you have this little app on your Mac and you just <laughs> nudge the little arrows and the mic moves and, and, and the, the graph shows you where the mic is in the speaker. And you can, you can go front and back, you can go left and right, and you can angle the mic. Wow. From 90 degrees to like... 45 degrees. Hold it. I think I just heard about 5,000 roadies go, fuck you, Scott. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a cool piece of gear. And that sounds I, and amazing. The, the more I listen to, um, well, also, you know, I found a really cool place on the net for anybody who's interested. It's it's called backtracksforall.com. Oh, uh, yeah, I know interested, that. You can find rock guitar tracks isolated from just about any band you can think of wow so i downloaded about 48 richie blackmore tracks <laughs> from 18 different deep purple songs i got some jimmy page from led zeppelin 2 and led zeppelin 1 yeah i got some billy gibbons off like about five songs i got billy gibbons isolated tracks wow and after listening to these tracks for a while now you know i don't have time to do it a lot but from what i've heard what i'm hearing and what i'm discovering with my new dynamount thing is it ain't about eq it's not it's about mic placement yeah you know where where before i used to sort of think okay yeah you're going to move the mic a little bit but you're going to fix a lot with eq you're going to like if you need a guitar part to s sit in the mix in a certain place you, you EQ it. And Alan will agree with that because he'll be on in a little while and he'll talk about that. But but I'm finding that with this thing, you could get away with not having to EQ at all. You could just move the mic into a different place. It creates such a different world that I can't even tell you the, the, the differences in the sounds that you get. Like when you angle a mic, it just makes the sound so much smaller. And it still has approximately the same amount of treble or maybe maybe the mids and bass shift a little bit but you could fit that guitar you could fit that guitar part into a tiny little corner in the mix and it wouldn't get in the way right because the angle of the mic just makes it so much smaller sounding can you doesn't take up any space in the can, mix can you save your favorite settings and stuff like yes, that you can you have six presets nice and so you find some mic placements that you like and you can save them this is really cool. What what are they so, worth? What do they run for roughly? Um, it's about seven hundred bucks. Okay, so it's a decent. It's kind of pricey, decent, but yeah. it's you know it's it's for for what you get, it's really worth it. It's fun, right? Yeah, it's a fun little toy. So I'm enjoying it. I you know Pete Thorne told me how amazing it is that you know when you when you have it nudging just by one degree, it's equal to about a sixteenth of an inch. So. It's really amazing how much the sound changes when the mic just moves a sixteenth of an inch. Wow. It's kind of incredible, actually. You just go, wait, that's a sixteenth of an inch. And I, you get used to that sound, then you move it a sixteenth of an inch and you go, what? What just happened? 
like wow kind of crazy that's yeah. ama- that's pretty amazing that's cool yeah it's fun that's a cool thing what's that product called it's called a dynamount dynamount um, dynamount it's just one word but with a capital m dynamount oh i'm gonna hit them yeah. up for sponsorship because we talked about them a lot. yeah and and um <laughs> and uh they're making the x2 now and the X2 just has a little bit of a quieter motor, but it's about three hundred dollars more. And that plays and, and that plays the guitar for you. Well, it should for that much money. <laughs> but but uh, mine is just the X1, and I don't. I to me, it's really quiet. I don't know how it could be much quieter, but it just you hear a little eh when the mic moves. <laughs> you just hear this little eh. Yeah, but you don't hear that once you've got it set. You don't hear that, right? No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. once it's set, it's just there. Wow, what a it cool! Just, it just, you just hear it when it moves. You know, when you're moving the mic. Dynamount. That but sounds. It's, it's kind of a cool little toy. That sounds like that sounds dynamite. That sounds pretty freaking cool. I like it. I like it. And I bought a bunch of pedals and the usual shit, just trying to uh, get some different tones. You and, are sounding but, like Bruce Foreman every day, Scott. Yeah, you know, oh. man. <laughs> I can't can't wean myself off those pedals. <laughs> I know Bruce has bought a lot of gear since this. Uh... <laughs> no. uh, you know, chainsaws, you know, <laughs> saddles. <laughs> Got a new saddle. Duck food, you know. Duck food. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. What else happened? Um. Oh, man. I have been teaching more than I have ever thought I would teach in my whole life. Oh, well that worked out. That's worked out. I've got like, I've got like two to three students a day. Yeah. Five days a week. What do you say? I've got about two or three students a day, five days a week, which is more than I've ever taught in my whole life, you know, but it's, it's bringing the money in and it's helping paying for, you know, my daughter's school and I need to make money. So, can't think of a better way. Than yeah, that's fantastic. Kind of, kind of enjoying it. Like, um, my students definitely pay attention. Like, they're not, they're not the kids that you just run across in a school who they may pay attention or not because they're paying for the lessons. So they're like, you know, hinging on your every word. Right. You know, I've only had a couple guys that wanted their money back. You know, and I've only had a couple guys that I turned down because I just didn't think they were ready for lessons yet. Right. Because they just didn't know enough. I mean, they were just barely learning the notes on the guitar. And I, I was like, I think before you spend, you know, money on a lesson, you should try to maybe familiar, familiarize yourself with the neck a little bit more, like learn a C chord or a D chord <laughs> or something. Might be good. <laughs> I- I'm going to sign my five-year-old daughter up for it. And, and then this one guy, he got mad at me because he said I chastised him because he wanted a blues lesson. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll be glad to help you with your blues playing. And, and I asked him to play some blues for me, which I always do. And this guy, he could barely get off a pentatonic scale, much less play it with any kind of a feel or thing he just he just was like and i was like have you listened or transcribed any blues players like bb king or albert king and he goes no not really and i I just said well i'll show you what i can show you and then after i showed him he was very unsatisfied (laughs) didn't like it 
he didn't like that he had to learn how to use rhythm. <laughs> well, you know, that's come on, you know. He's always like, what do you mean? I got to use rhythm? I want my money back. <laughs> like, well, okay. I had a guy the other day, and, you know, I mean, he had found me, I think, through Josh, you know, who had told the world that I'd given him a few lessons, you know, and, um, and he was really, he's a really talented kid, you know, sings great, you know, the church, the whole thing. But like, he didn't even know a blues progression, you know, yeah. parts of songs. And so it was like back to basics. It was the first lesson like that I'd given in years. And I loved it. It was fun to give that lesson, you know, like, Okay, one, four, five, this is the way it works. You know what I mean? This some basic rhythms you play, and these are some basic voicings you'll use. You just gotta learn the blues and develop motifs, and, you know what I mean? And he was a good singer, so he was he was musical. It was not a problem, you right. know what I mean, relating to him on a musical level. It was just, you know, as a guitar player, and he's like everything I showed him was like, I can't believe it. I've had five lessons. No one ever showed me this. You know, it's like and because I cost a lot of money for somebody who's just learning that stuff. And but it was a really fun lesson to teach, you know, okay, now these are some straight ahead blues chords that you'd use for this progression. But the, if you want to make it sound jazzier, we use these chords, you know, and he was like, Oh, wow, I've heard that before, you know. And, and then would... I, I, gave, I gave him a, li a, a good phrase. And he like couldn't play it because his hands just defaulted back to what they were used to doing. I said, no, 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 stop. I'm going to play it and you sing it. And I played it and he sang it back to me. And I played it again and he sang it back to me. I said, now play it. And like he kind of found it. You know what I mean? Like you, you're like a light bulb went off. Oh, shit. You know, this isn't about putting your hand down somewhere. It's about hearing music first then playing it. You know, and I said, now you got to go listen for the blues. You got to go listen to Albert King and B.B. King and. And then he you know, said, and then he said, hold it. And then he said, you know what? Fuck you, Bruce. Scott just told me that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think my guys are, I mean, I don't, I don't really get that many. Beginners. That's awesome. I love that hearing they're that. Gonna pay a, if they're going to pay a hundred bucks, they're going to kind of know their shit before they come. Well, to you me. know, sometimes they don't. And that, I mean, but I, like, I got to tell you, man, I gave that kid a lot of, after it was over, I sent him a bunch of like chord diagrams. Try this and try this. Use some progressions. Count to four and do this. And remember to sing everything before you do it. Listen to these guys. It was really a fun. I mean, I enjoyed the lesson. I don't think he's going to pay that much <laughs> for many more. You know what I mean? Because where he is, he could probably do better with a somebody who's cheaper. But. Still, he said he'd given he'd done four lessons and like the light bulbs were going off all over the place. So it's like, well, at that point, a hundred bucks is worth three or four lessons with somebody else's cheaper, right? You know. Yeah. And for me, that was a lesson I hadn't really given anybody in so long that it was really a lot of fun for me. You know what I mean? To just go back there and kind of just get into that thing. And that's that's the cool thing about having a real teacher as opposed to just watching off videos and t tutorials that you yeah. get to interact and you guys get to see straight away what the problem is and zero in on, in on that instead of just floundering through a bunch of videos and right. Well, you know, my, my guys have been pretty, my guys are pretty smart. I mean, 
I, I can't believe it, but I have 92 students now. Wow. Like, it's insane. So, like, out of those 92 guys, I mean, some of those guys, I'd say 20, 20 of those guys I saw and never saw again. Right. They never came back. But oh, you're counting them, that. Oh, people who have taken a lesson from you. I get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got 92 guys that have taken a lesson, but if out of those 92, about 70 are return guys who come, like, maybe once a month or once every two months, you know, I give them a bunch of shit to work on. They come back about two months later. I'm ready for another lesson. Right. So those cats, like they're really working hard because they know there's no reason to come back until I'm ready because I got to get all this stuff down that he told me to get down before I come back. Cause I want to learn something new next time for my hundred bucks. So I'm giving them loading them up with shit. You know, they're recording the lessons. So I'm playing, lines for them slowly if they want to learn this or they want to learn that but the main thing they bless their hearts what they really want to know is they want me to hear them play and tell me what they think is wrong and you know what finally like some guys with some fucking sense because that's what i would do if i was taking a lesson with somebody that's the first thing i do just listen to me play and tell me Tell me all the different ways that I suck and how I can get better. Or, or ways That's I, what I want to know. I can be better in ways I'm not using what I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, wanna, I want critique. I want helpful, you know, positive critique so that I can improve my playing. And luckily, I have a bunch of guys that are like that. They, they play along with the backing track. And then whatever I see as a weak point, you know, whether it's, playing over changes or playing over a vamp or playing over a blues, whatever it is, you know, we talk about what they need to work on and then go into detail about what they need to work on. And it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's that way. And not just me just saying, well, today I think we should work on this or that. Cause I don't really want to do that. I don't want to like just spiel out information. I want to be, I want to help the guy, you know? Right. So when he says, listen to me, play, and I think you're going to see that my weak point is so-and-so usually turns out he's right. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys, yeah. do you guys see it uh, with this yeah. pandemic and doing a lot of teaching at home? Have you saw a lot of like problems continuous, the same problems coming up with the players that you were teaching or is it across yeah. the board? It's always different. No, it's all across the board. It's everything, man. And I mean, it depends on how long the guy's been playing in the first place. Yeah. Because I've got some guys, I've got this one guy who's a brilliant guitar player, brilliant, just in a lot of ways, a lot better than me. He's got way more chord, chordal vocabulary than I do, you know, but, but, you know, he could use some help with his phrasing, you know, his phrasing is a little clunky, you know, and it's a little, it's not that hip. So it's mainly rhythmic things where he's listened to some players who are maybe a little corny and he wants to play hipper rhythms. So I say, well, you know, maybe you should listen to guys that play hipper rhythms. You that's, know, like that's David Gillen, right? To, You're talking about that student, yeah, David I Gillen? Mean, I, 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 I tell him to listen to Seamus Blake. That's what I tell him. I say, just get... Just find Seamus Blake on any record and transcribe him, and you're going to be playing the hippest rhythms ever because that guy is just rhythmically amazing. And so is Chris Potter, you know, and and these and Mark Turner, and these you know modern saxophone players. If you transcribe those guys, you're going to learn so much about rhythm. And so, yeah, whatever. Um, wow. But yeah, 
just making them make them making them do their homework like we all have to do and yeah like i still do so <clears throat> that's cool yeah. and bruce you've been gigging you're back to well, actual I gigs i want to say that scott you got to stop at 99 don't go over 100 <laughs> because, don't go because no, I mean, take, my soul. <laughs> take it from a guy like me. Now, if I if I were to count everybody who ever took a lesson from me, I'm like in the 500, and 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 like now I'm in the danger of a class action suit. <laughs> they're all going to get together and they're going to sue me. You know, yeah. so stay under a hundred and you'll okay. probably be safe. Okay? That's good advice. <laughs> That's great advice. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm uh I'm I'm actually gigging. You know, they're 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 like quasi opening things now and you know, and it's it's of course the wild west how they do it, you know, and uh some of it's outside. Of course, we're lucky to live in California where the weather's nice and it's not so weird to be outside. Um some of we were now allowed to have x percent of the of the of the restaurant or bar or whatever it is like 30 percent or whatever so uh i've been playing in some places you know and of course i'm my ability to be the accompanist for singers and horn players just like one man band kind of backup for them songs and keys and stuff uh makes me kind of valuable in that world right now as it's starting to open up and it's great to play and it's great to see people again and it's weird to wear masks and all that shit but uh being half-axed and uh people are taking precautions to some some you know different depends on where you are and who you're around but you can always control that to a certain level and uh, it's been great just to play and be out amongst people again. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like my usual touring experience, but there's a lot of great musicians around here, and I'm happy to play with them. And well, at least it's starting up again. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you know, I'm working out. I mean, I've been shedding really hard for a year, so now I get to kind of take all what I've done and you know put it on the on the road. You know, I mean, you know, like rubber meets the road, like as much as you do it in your own studio or in your practice room when you get out on a gig and the other pressures, whether it's sound or situational or focus, whatever, you know, and I mean, you learn, you know, it's just like all of us. You, you learn a bunch of stuff at home, but then you get out on the gig and you really learn it there. You know, and I've obviously got a year of stored up shit <laughs> that I've been uh, working on. So it's fun to kind of take it out for a test drive, and, you know, and see. So, yeah, I have been like one or two gigs a week, pretty much on average. And some record dates have come in where it's very, you know, carefully distanced. You know, they're mostly overdub sessions you know, maybe one or two guys in different isolation booths and, you know, you don't go into the control room anymore, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, we're kind of inching our way back and, and, uh, you know, I can see it coming, getting back to whatever the next thing is. I don't think we're going back to what it was. I think we're going back to a new normal, going forward to a new normal. And I'm just trying to you know, just stay positive and play my ass off. I mean, that's why I'm really working on my playing. You know, it's are the you, most important. Are thing. you guys doing many sessions like at home or anything or not? 
Ready what? Recording, like recording for people at home or anything. I'm not. I don't. I, you know, I've got that interface and stuff, and I hooked it up, and I kind of learned to use it. Never used it, and I, re- in my opinion, I don't really care. You know, I I just want to play. I don't really the, the whole. I mean, I'm kind of probably the opposite of Scott. I I just want to play, make a sound in the room, get together with people, make music, or play by myself and make music. I really don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of being an engineer or an EQ or, you know what I mean? I like, I can hear what I'm doing. I've got a guitar that's kind of acoustic already and I mix with the amp and it's really kind of, I'm cool with it. You know, I, so think, me, I think he's more asking if we're doing sessions like that we, but you know, I know that I'm not, I mean, yeah. because I'm not using, well, I'm not either. So my yeah. sessions are like what I'm doing this coming week where I'm going. Into that's probably Alan. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's 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 great though. And uh, and you know and 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 I just don't really I, you know I, I set it up so I could have done that and I still could. I've got a good sound on my thing, and if somebody were to send oh, me tracks to play to, I could. Just a second, let me see. Hey, but you know I don't. Did you send Alan the link? I'm I'm sending it right now. He says he's sending it right now. All right, well, that checks in the mail, motherfucker. This is going to be fun. Okay. I guess tell him it's coming at him right now. Okay. Maybe we oh, should. Sorry, have- I haven't. I haven't got any questions just because I just don't want to. I just yeah. don't. <laughs> I don't want to. That's all. People aren't calling. I mean, you were doing that before. I haven't done it in two years. Wow. Oh, but you were doing it before, right? I mean, I used to do it, but I just yeah. decided to stop. But you th- you think there'd be more of it now, not less? I there is more, but I turn it all down. Oh, okay. Uh oh, here comes Scott. You can do the introductions. Okay. Here he comes. Uh oh, he's on. He figured it out. Here we go. Whoa! Oh my God! Hurts. <laughs> he's frozen. There you guys are. He figured hey, it look. out. Holy cow, we're like the Hollywood Squares. <laughs> Brady, Brady Bunch. G'day, yeah. Alan. Hey, you mate? Troy. Pleasure. Hey, Troy. Nice to meet you. Pleasure, mate. I've heard everything about you, and uh, I don't believe any of it. Your studio looks a lot like mine with the disco lights and stuff. Should I put mine on? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let, let me let me put mine on. Hold on a second. <laughs> Not to be outdone. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, Alan, Troy can do it from his phone. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's that's sexiness. Yeah, man. All yeah, right, yeah. so look. Look at that. Ooh. Wow. Oh, disco down. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, now you can't see my ugly mug. <laughs> that's okay. We really don't mind. <laughs> oh, man. There you go. You guys ready to rap? Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Good to have you on here, man. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, and we've yet to have an engineer, a real engineer on our show. And so. but we'll, a drummer. But we'll get one. <laughs> Don't we worry. Some, we had a drummer. We had a drummer. Who would you guys have on here? We had Marvin Smitty Smith. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, he's Frank, working so I'll much. Just leave, I'll just leave now. We and were going to have we Covington. Had Jake, we, had Jake Reed, we had uh, Frank, Frank DeVito. You know, we've had a few guys, you know, and I mean, drummers and guitar players, you know, we, had, we, we all we, have a very kindred spirit thing. You we know? had Eric Singer, the drummer from Kiss. Yeah. We had Eric on. Awesome. So uh, you had yeah, some people. 
guitar players and drummers have a lot in common. We can play all day and night, knowing you know, and just basically bother everybody. <laughs> Every, everybody else has to stop for a while and rest. We don't. You know so, I mean? Scott, so introduce the people to our to our lovely guest this evening. Well, this is Alan Hertz, and Alan Hertz has been in the music scene for a long time. He's a veteran. He's played with his own band, Garage Mahal, for many years. He was on the the, the, the concert tour circuit in the States forever. And um, I, who'd you play with before Garage Mahal, Alan? Um, you know, I, I, I grew up playing in the family band, you know, with my dad. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Play with Bill uh, Champlin. Well, yeah, like Sons of Champlin. And uh, I, I played in um, uh, bands with Bobby Vega up north, the bass player. Play with Landau sometimes. Landau. Um, Kirk Fletcher. Kirky Fletcher. Played Josh Smith. For like 10 years. <laughs> I've toured with Scott Henderson for 10 years, as yeah. you can see. You'll never get those years back. <laughs> oh man, it was it was awesome. Alan, or it still is awesome. Alan, out of all those guitarists you just mentioned, which one's the biggest asshole? Um, <laughs> the, the the shortest, the shortest one. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> we we want the dirt tonight. That's what we want. The dirt. Yeah, yeah you know, you know why why Bruce is such a gentleman and and such a. a a study of of jazz is because he's not short. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I thought it was my parents' fault. <laughs> I guess it was, you know, when you think about it. But so, uh, no. Alan, where, where do you reside? What part of the country you're in? I'm in Van Nuys. Oh, you're up the street. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right. I'm right in Van Nuys. How's my level? Am I okay? I don't want to blow anybody out. That is such an engineer question. Well, I, I always love it. Like when you go to like a, a NAM show or something and you go to like the audio booth of a NAM show and, and they're like, they're like, you know, showing off their fancy audio product and they're like feeding back. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's always like that. You're a little hot. Okay, let me let no, me back no, it down. Not. No, you're not. That's no, he was. He's a, just a tad no, hot. Not- not to me, not. Anyway, so my question is, Alan, you know, I mean, I'm growing my hair long, too, ever since the pandemic, but you've got me beat. Yeah, the the the, the thing, yeah. No haircut no, since no, the pandemic for me. My question is, have, you haven't cut it since the pandemic. No, right? I haven't. No, I don't I don't want to go in there. <laughs> okay, man. You know. Yeah, I'll, you know, you're I'll, looking you're, good. You're, you're, you're looking good. Okay, but I'm good, but. You, you know, are really good. I love the bird. I love the bird back there to your left, to my yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's you see it takes the pressure off me everybody looks at Charlie Parker and goes oh shit you know, and oh I don't know I'm fucking sitting here so <laughs> so Alan with with your job being so you drummer engineer how long have you been engineering for um wow I think when I first started making records just like anybody you walk into the control room and, the, and that that's not the sound you know you're like wow that's that's not the sound so it kind of it gets you interested in in uh, trying to figure out how to make it the sound, and um, um, so ever since ever since I started recording with with my bands, I remember I did go into a studio in Katati, California, once with my dad, um, and we played Sweet Georgia Brown, and that was back in the day, you know, reel to reel tape deck. I think it was like 
eight track one inch or something. And I remember that being like a really great drum sound. Like, wow, I really like this drum sound. And then it started to go on and on and on and on. And like, I kept thinking back, like when I was 10, I got a better drum sound than this fancy <laughs> neat console with these, all this fancy shit, you know? So I kind of tried to figure out like, what were, what were we doing back then? You know? So you, uh, that I liked personally. Amen. So you, Woo. So, uh, <laughs> when you, when you like, uh, this is a crazy question, but when you're listening to the sound of your own kit in a room, yeah. and you, then you walk into the control room and you hear a playback of your kit and you don't like it. I know it's not because you don't know how to tune your drums. Cause you tune the fuck. I got to tell you something about Alan. Yeah more than any drummer I've ever worked with. And I've worked with a lot. And this guy can come into a club and just say, I'll play the club drums. And he tunes the club drums to sound better than most guys can tune their own kits. And, yeah, and, I, and I try not to complain did. because I try not to complain about the club drums either, you but know, he, but I mean, the, the, the thought <laughs> is you know how to make a strange set of drums sound so good. Thanks, man. Most guys would be just fucking flailing and not knowing what the fuck to do. You know, mm-hmm. and you come in and make a strange kit sound wonderful and oh, don't complain about it. And you play that kit. And it's amazing. I've never, ever in my life seen a drummer that can do that on the level that you do it on. It's amazing just to see. Oh, I appreciate it. So, well, but, I mean, I, I think the drum, I also think part of the sound is, is connected to your, to yourself. Sure, of course. You know, to your body. Like my body is kind of resonating. And you're always dealing with the acoustics of the room. So like your touch is, is, is much about, how the room is responding to the sound of what you're playing, right? I mean, it's not just tuning the kid. It's like making your touch work with the acoustics of the room. Right. And, and just kind of maybe predicting the future a little bit, like um, not to be biased in, in any way, but when you're in South America, they seem to really love sub-frequency kick drums. You know what I mean? And, and when we're playing this music that has a lot of information and a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff sometimes uh a, a, a lot of melodies and counterpoint sometimes the lo- the really sub sub frequency stuff is a little it's a little confusing i love it too on certain genres of music but it gets confusing when the music has a lot of stuff happening right and um i might hear that i might hear i might kind of try to predict the future and go for a little deader of a sound than i than i actually think is going to end up out to the audience and then sure enough, they'll, <laughs> you know, they love their, they love their EQs. But back to my question, Alan, like you, when you're, you're playing your kid out in the room, out in like, say a studio and y- you've played and they've taped it or, or yeah. put it on hard disc or tape or whatever. And you go and listen to it and you don't like it. What's usually the thing that's the culprit, the reason. Right. Why I mean, like what's, what's, what's the, 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 the number one suspect usually, uh, usually usually everybody's taught in school that you flip the phase of the bottom snare drum mic and everything's going to be hunky dory and that's 
that's actually not the reality. So when you have, like, you know, you put two mics on the guitar cabinet, if they're not really lined up, you hear a phasing. Mm -hmm. So we got mics all over the drums. You know, you never know when, you know, the, the overhead that's over the ride cymbal might be completely wreaking havoc with the floor tom or the wow. snare drum is just getting really thin and so it's mainly a mic placement problem it's a it's a phase thing and a mic um, a mic thing yeah more than it is the gear uh yeah yeah and yeah for like me if the, someone mics a drum set and they just don't do a good job micing the drum set it's usually yeah when you when you hear an out of yeah yeah when you hear an out of phase uh, guitar two mics on a guitar cabinet out of phase it sounds pretty bad yeah. Well, I, you know, I just remember because we had a session and I don't want to mention the guy's name, but right. I remember you saying that that guy does not know how to mic a drum set because he just didn't do a good job. And you ended up having to mic the drum uh, yourself. Yeah. Uh -huh. This was actually a session that was Archie was on and, oh. and you were not digging the way the drums were sounding and you go and listen to Archie playing and you were saying, well, it sounds good good when archie's playing but it doesn't sound good in the control room yeah. so something's up with the miking you know like yeah the mics and and i i think um you know we all we all like learned so much about uh, about tricks over the years that um we try to do too much you know we try to we try to eq things and we try to like oh there's no low end in the snare drum let's eq it instead of like flipping a phase switch and seeing if Maybe the low end comes back when you flip the face switch. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, so. when you tune drums, Alan, do you do you tune to certain notes? Do you have particular Not notes? Not at all. No, 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 no. I mean, it usually ends up. It usually ends up like. <laughs> it usually ends up like. Dun 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 dun. You know, it it really does. Like it, it somehow it ends up. I've heard Jack Dejanet tune his drums and he gets these like really cool kind of pentatonic sounds and all this stuff and like i just tune the drum to where it sounds good to me and that i can kind of i can do my thing on it and um it usually it's usually like a, it's like a, it's a major triad it's pretty boring <laughs> but i'm trying to kind of like i'm trying to you know i just don't i don't um I don't know why it ends up that way. Just because the each drum has its own little natural spot where it sounds jazziest, jazzy. You know, if I want a jazzy tone, and I crank it up, ooh, that's singing in a nice way. Or if I want like a a dead uh, a dead tone, ooh, that's kind of dead. That reminds me of the '70s or whatever. I don't think of like, oh, that's a C7 sharp 11, <laughs> right? Flat five. <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead. Back to your, you know, like you had said how, like, when you were a kid and you were recording, like, to eight track, and that really got the sound of your instrument, and then all of a sudden, you know, years later, you just can't get a drum sound or whatever. I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth now. Yeah. But, but wasn't a lot of it the fact that you just weren't miking everything, you know, you weren't deep-throating every little piece. Of <laughs> That's a good, I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, is that it? I mean, no one listens. I mean, even a drummer, I play the drums. I sit at the drums. I don't hear the drum set as if my ear were on every fucking piece of hardware and equipment you have there. Right. If you put your I ear right. Somebody's right. got to figure out a way to turn it back into a natural sound that it already is when you just play it. 
Right. There, there's so many sounds, you know, it's like if you're going for a sound where the drums are open and jazzy, then that's a completely different concept than if you're going for this kind of this dead, you know, Omar Hakim with Weather Report right, right. vibe or or like you're going for Cobham with wide open, big sound and stuff. Yeah. Like I had Steve Gadd in my studio once and uh, he came in here and he, he sat on my couch. He was super super nice cat and he looked around and he goes wow you got all these you got a lot of drums you know and he goes do you play them all do they all sound good and i said i said i think so i mean they all sound different and he goes wow because i usually just try to do it with one drum set <laughs> and like you know my my weenie went about like <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know it there's those there's those kind of people that just have a sound and that's what their sound is and then there's multi-stylists that right. i kind of i think i'm a multi-stylist you are a multi-stylist like like to answer bruce's question that type of an open three or four mic drum sound would wreak fucking havoc in my music i would hate it right it right the worst fucking thing for my music you could ever create right you know? Because my music is way too intricate and there's way too much shit going on to have a bunch of ambience ruin it. You right. Know? I do not need ambience. That's the last fucking thing I need from a drum set is ambience. You know, yeah. That's good to fill space with when you got an acoustic bass player and a soloist and a piano player and you've got lots of space to fill. Oh, yeah. But if you've got lots of stuff going on, multiple guitar tracks, multiple this, multiple that, you need the drums to punch and you need every single drum to have its own voice. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, shorter, shorter sounds. Yes. Otherwise it's chaos. You know? Yeah. And, like, and like then me there's having, me having to cut the toms is a great example. Like, you'll oh, love yeah. this, Bruce. you know, the drummer that I work with now, uh, Archie, he's got four, five, three floor toms. Five. Yeah. Three floor toms. Yeah. Four, four toms are actually five toms. Oh, so wide five, open. Yeah, wide open. So, yeah. so of course, you know, an engineer at the gig will gate him, you know, because it, he has to. Otherwise, that shit's ringing through the whole thing. So what I had to do on my record, on People Mover, was that every time he played a tom, I had to cut it. I had to go in there and actually physically cut it off. Yeah. At, like, what, what were we doing? Counting to five, five seconds? like Or, or whatever. It's yeah, just hit the tom and count to five and then, and then scissor it. And yeah, then and as long as, like, it, as long as it doesn't sound unnatural with, like, a crash symbol coming right, out. Right, exactly. If, if, like as long that. as it, you know, doesn't fuck something up. But Yeah, I cut the, I cut the last, um, you know, the rock band Sticks. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I, I cut the um, I actually didn't cut. He cut him at his house because of the pandemic. But I cut the record before that. But um, they sent me the files and he has eight toms. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I'm ringing like a motherfucker. He eight the guitars time. that, you know, He's, I mean, I yeah. got the thing. I'm going to tell you something about. Tom, okay? <laughs> OK, OK, I'm going to tell you something about toms. OK, toms are guitar killers. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially what that is. Especially I mean, where your I tone lies Tom. in that nice. I grew up listening to Elvin Jones. I grew yes, up sir. listening to Tony Williams. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, Max Roach. I love Toms. I love right. playing the drums. You know what I mean? But when you're playing a guitar and somebody starts hitting the drum, Toms, yeah. you might as well not play. Well, Especially. 
But Bruce, that's your guitar. Your guitar, I'll agree wholeheartedly. When you got a hollow but, okay, body, okay, it's my guitar. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm <laughs> playing with a guy who's who's like is willfully obliterating me. I'm not yeah, willfully right. obliterating him. I'm trying to play music here because yeah, Tom's not trying to like set the world on fire or like establish, you know, like enforce my aesthetic on the world. I'm just trying to play music in a group. Do you know a guy named Buell Neidlinger, a bass player? Sure, I think he sure. passed away. But um, I, 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 uh, I actually was was kind of into him through a through a roommate of mine, uh, this guy Hugh Schick, who's a, a cool trumpet player. He actually lives in LA now, and they would, they they would, they would bring their own little beater to put on your bass drum pedal that had a little. They'd be like, here, put it on your pedal. <laughs> and, you, and and it had like one of those, you know, those little like Nerf basketball. Yeah. Uh, like you shoot those little mini ball hoops. So you'd hit the bass drummer to be like, ball. <laughs> it wouldn't make any noise. And and the more I thought about it, it was like, yeah, they want they want to hear the upright bass. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't want that bass drum going like boom with all the upright bass. And uh, it was kind of cool. It was a cool sound. No, I mean, you know, it's all about music playing together with a group, right? Yeah. You yeah. Know? For music like you, where your guitar tone has that beautiful low mid range and that, that, that warm jazz. Um, I don't, there it is right there. Look, there's your guitar. And, you know, I've heard you with the warm, warm, warm tone. Yeah. Sometimes toms must just live right in that yeah. zone where yeah. it just. And so I, I just like, okay, I'm not going to play now. Wait till you're done. Okay. Now. But how about like cranked up toms, like really cranked up like Billy Higgins, you or, know, or, with... or really even like Billy Hart's bass drum. Oh yeah. You know, that really, boop, boop, boop. that's, I mean, yeah. that's great. Oh, Phil Collins. But, you know, air drums are okay. <laughs> you know I mean? I, yeah. I mean and and Phil a guy Collins. like Jeff Hamilton, <laughs> you know, a guy, you know, Jeff Hamilton, he gets, there's a certain tone to when he plays those toms. Absolutely. It doesn't really conflict. Yeah, and then one or two mics around the drums works too. Right, right. I and mean, that just tears you know, it up. I mean, again, it's about playing the environment you're in. Now, I'm not, of course, you know, playing with me would be 100% different than playing with Scott or Troy. You know, I mean, yeah. that's just what it is. I mean, that's that's what yeah, music's look at, about, right? Look at, uh, look at this little, look at this little bass drum. This is my favorite right here. Listen to this. Wow. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> that is 16. You know <laughs> we, did this, we did this gig in Hong Kong one time. At this oh event, boy! And they brought Alan a drum set that looked like it came right out of Target. <laughs> like Not only did it come out of Target, gig. there was a pillow inside the bass drum, filling up, <laughs> filling up the whole bass drum. And it was oh, like, all right, that you playing that gig on that little Target drum set hey these little tiny cymbals and it was like it was like hey i just hired this little eight-year-old to do my thing <laughs> and at the end at the end of the gig i walked up to this blind piano player and i i said uh hey man i'm alan and because everyone was like oh this is the blind piano player in hong kong you got to meet him he's amazing yeah. and uh and he said i really love your drum sound <laughs> yeah wow so, that's awesome so, Alan, you know, I mean, again, it works for different things. I mean, we, but you know, you, Alan, you would play, you could play anything, you know, and make it work in the situation you're in, right? I mean, that's what you do. That's what jazz music is about. I mean, it may not be the optimal thing you want. Yeah. 
to quote Scott Henderson, yeah, to to quote Scott Henderson, wake up and smell the jazz. (laughs) That's a that's a Scott Henderson quote. Hey, Alan, Alan. So what what kind of stuff are you recording when people come to your your studio? There are they? Is it is it all over the map, or do you particularly do a more one style, or what's the deal? Wow, it's it's all over the map, you know. Yeah, it's like um, from electric jazz to Bollywood. Oh wow! You know, That's... I do a lot of a lot of stuff for my friends that I met with Scott in India. You know, we went to a guy a composer studio had us in India, and um, I met all these guys that worked in the studio business in the Bollywood studio business, and we were sharing tricks with the plugins and you know doing all that kind of stuff and. And uh, I started getting calls to play drums on these things. And they're by far the biggest selling records I've ever played on in my life. Wow. Like these records are massive. And I, I, I started figuring it out. I started, I started, you know, calling my friends in India going like, hey, man, how much should I ask for this? You know, <laughs> be honest. And they're like, oh, how about that? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds good. <laughs> That's that's so funny. Today I had a business meeting with a guy in India calling with, uh, I do trailer music. So he was calling here from India, Ravi. He's probably listening. But that's so funny you mentioned India. Mm -hmm. Alan, I want to just ask you, like, of course, you know, you start out listening to your drums and learning how to be an engineer because you want to have a good drum sound. But when did you venture off into like, okay, now I got to really, if I'm going to be an engineer, I got to learn about bass. I got to learn about keyboards. I got to learn about guitar and all the like, just, you know, from A to Z sounds that those instruments make. When did you sort of make that decision? Like, okay, I'm going to be a real engineer and learn all this shit about as much as I can about all the other instruments too. Um, I think when when uh, I was in a in a rock band up north and we were kind of a Zeppelin-y rock band and uh, we were doing it all independent and it was kind of one of my one of my first attempts at making a real buff rock record, you know. And um, I mean, honestly, if you listen to like my delay times and stuff, like on that record, on that rock record i made i mean they're just it's just amateur hour you know but (laughs) they let me do it and they let and they were showing me stuff like oh that'd be great if we had a quarter note delay on on the on the on the power chords or whatever and i'm like quarter note delay (laughs) you know (laughs) i was like what what do you mean they're like that that thing over there that thing blinking you know and uh yeah i mean drummers i mean we don't we don't really know we unless you go down that and you have you have uh, people that you collaborate with that can teach you these things mm-hmm. you know unless you get to assist some people you know get to sit in like i got to sit in lots of rooms with lots of great mixers and and i didn't even know it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i remember when brendan o'brien came in to a, the control room that i was living in and i i just by def, def, you know, by default, I was the guy that got to sit there and watch Brendan O'Brien do all the pre-production on, on a, I think it was like an early, early train record, pop record. Oh, wow. So I got to go like, oh, wow, what's he doing? Oh, he's pulling up. Oh, wow. He's pulling up com- 
okay, what's he doing? He's pulling up this compressor underneath the drums. And, and then I got to actually be a fly on the wall on Andy John's record, you know, when, when he was pulling up his compressors and, and uh, my friend, Chris Manning, who's a bass player who played in that band, the yellow jackets. And then he learned a bunch of stuff from being in a room with Jack Joseph Puig. And then, you know, I learned a lot of stuff from him, from him be, you know, it's just like, you know, you listen to Richie Blackmore and you go, okay, he's doing this. You learn that stuff. So I, I started kind of geeking out and just learning what other people were, do, are, were doing and then trying to apply it mm-hmm. and sucking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same thing that Mike Landau uh, answered the question in the exact same way. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a guitarist on these sessions but rather than just sit out there in the room and just sit on my ass while things are going on, he'd go right. to the control room and just watch the engineer work and see what he's doing yeah. and learn bits and pieces from everybody. And pretty soon the guys, but you know, like I, I have so much respect for you guys because like guys like you, um, Holsworth, yeah. Randall, um, um, TJ, you yeah. know, all these guys are really great musicians, but also equally as good engineers. And, and it's like, wow, that's impressive to me because like as much as I've been in the studio, I never really learned how to be an engineer. I'm a good guitar engineer. If you got through into it, you would have to learn. Yeah, sure. But I've just never, never went there all the way. Like I, I, I don't know enough about drums and compressors and bass and especially when it comes to EQ and compression. I'm not really, I wouldn't trust myself to do bass and drums yet. You, you know, know, you know, how you, ha- you know how you have to call, you call yourself something, you put a title on yourself and then you can be that in this world. So <laughs> I remember I was like, I'm a mixer. That's um, what I am. <laughs> and I got this call. I got this call like a, many, many moons back. And this guy called me from Prairie Sun recording studio in uh in uh up in sonoma county he goes hey alan and i said hey and he goes we got this girl coming in and she needs some mixes up in the ssl room you, you run an ssl and i was like i just lied i was like oh yeah <laughs> ssl no problem yeah it's uh, you know at the end of the month or whatever so from that point to the end of the month i read the ssl manual <laughs> so when i went into the ssl room I knew things that the assistant engineers didn't know. Wow. I was like, oh, let's just float these and send these out the small fader and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, let's group them into the VCAs and all this stuff. You know, I, I, I had my little thing together and I was totally bullshitting, you know, and I was like, <laughs> wow, it, wow, it works just like the manual. <laughs> wow. So, you know, and yeah. they didn't like the mix. They, so <laughs> they, they didn't, didn't like it, so it was too it was too bright for them. So Fuck them. <laughs> they wanted that, you know. They wanted like this Joni Mitchell thing, and I, I was like, "Oh, we're on an SSL. I'm gonna give them Beyonce," <laughs> you know. And so I just went for the for the top and all the sauce and the whole thing, and I was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> and they walked in there like, well, "That's not Joni Mitchell." Right, <laughs> so. dude. You know how you know how weird it is that you can be in so many different worlds. When you get in that studio, you can be in one completely different world that has nothing to do with another one. And one world fits one music and one set of EQs or one 
frequencies really work for one kind of music and just are ass for another kind of music. Right. So, yeah, because we're all co- we're all copying each other, and then when people don't copy, I, I heard this really interesting thing. This guy said he says you want a different sounding record, use a set of speakers. You have no idea what they are because then you'll make the record sound like you want it on these speakers that that might be completely wrong, and your record will come out it'll come out cool, but it'll actually come out different than you think. Mm, that's so he would he would go buy these like you know, these old high, you know, these old home speakers, like hi-fi speakers, like every record, because he wanted to keep reinventing himself and reinventing his EQ, you know, it's boring to to just be like, I make this one sound, and that's my sound, and pay me, you know, that that's kind of, boy, it's not very artistic. You think it's, you think, like, does it come to your mind, engineers, and you don't have to name names, but aren't there engineers that they just have a sound and they're going to, they're going to mix every single band, no matter who it is or what style they're going to mix it to their specifications as an engineer, because that's my sound. There's some of them out there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of them out there that actually get called because of their thing. Because of that's their sound. Yeah, They actually work with record labels and record labels have certain kinds of bands that call them to be the finisher for their kind of bands and producers that know that they'll do this kind of a thing to their band. And um, yeah, but me like record labels, what's that? When you're listening, when you're listening to stuff more say on the radio nowadays, what are you hearing that is a massive change to say what you heard 10 years ago or so? Is there big differences that you're hearing that you're kind of surprised with? Wow. (laughs) Bruce. (laughs) Hey, I don't listen to the radio. Help me out. You don't listen to the radio either. (laughs) For this. Rap and hip hop are forty years old. What's fucking new? <laughs> right. And they're giving right. me shit about two five one. Fuck you. <laughs> two five one. That's the shit, homie. I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna disagree and say two five one, fuck you. I never want to hear your fucking sorry ass again. <laughs> they're playing it all the time and you don't even fucking realize no, it. <laughs> I know when I'm playing five one, and I'm not fucking playing them over here. You're so fucking hip, and you're doing the same shit. You're just putting new colors and weird colors on it, man. Just like everybody else, ain't nothing new. I'm not playing any two five ones over here. I know when I'm playing a two five one. (laughs) I'm listening to cadences, man, baby. Cadences are cadences. Yeah, cadence is a cadence. That doesn't mean it's a two five fucking one, man. Fuck you. Is All there right. a tell me, Bruce, is there is there a, a two five one in inner urge? I've been playing a lot. Well, that, well, I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like four five one, two five one, cadences that lead to place. Now, now now inner urge is a particularly interesting the the back half of it, yes, would be like just an interesting version of two five one, but the front half of it, or the front two thirds of it, is not, you know. Right. Right. Well, but you know, well, I mean, but still, it's a cadence, and it's a cadence. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't say it. I want to hear any cadences. I just said I don't want to hear. <laughs> no, two five one is just a cadence, and, and the shit you do on two five one is just as open as you do on inner urge. Um, yeah, I guess so. I'm just so okay. tired of hearing it. 
Guitarist. So, Alan, what pisses you off about guitarists? Oh, about guitars? <laughs> yeah, what pisses you off about playing with guitarists? Is there one thing that you kind of got a running theme is like, oh, fuck, I wish guitarists would get that down. And you can be honest. We, we, you can't that's offend pretty, any of us. That's pretty loaded. Um, well, I think not taking the time in the in the beginning of the sound check to for them to really get directional with their with what they're hearing so that they can be comfortable with where the amp is pointing at their head or wherever it's pointing to really to be in a zone that's not killing everybody and to lose their lose their ego about that to where like if you say hey man you mind if you tilt it a little bit this way or if you <laughs> tilt it a little bit this way because everybody's got to get their tone right and then, so we, you just got to take a little bit of time, if you have the time, to just let everybody just kind of get comfortable. Like, hey, bass player, you know, the bass player, can you tilt it a little bit? You know, you're kind of killing me. Can you move a little bit or can you do this? And just lose your ego about all of that and just work as a team for a second to get a comfortable environment going where you can, where you, you don't, you're not going to, you're going to leave the gig feeling better than when you showed up to the gig. Because that's that's been my goal is I kind of want to leave the gig um, feeling like, uh, you know what I mean? Like music gave me some energy instead of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, and we've all had nice know. gigs. Oh, fuck. So what you're saying, it sounds to me like it's most, it, it, you know, in most the way you just presented it, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, it sounded more like a volume thing. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guitarist. Well, no, I mean, it definitely is a volume yeah. thing because, you know, for one thing, drums, being a drummer, when you hit your drums, they go out in all all degrees. They, right. They resonate everywhere, whereas a guitar cabinet goes one direction, and whoever's sitting in front of it gets to be the poor asshole that's sitting <laughs> in front of it, you yeah. know. And and whoever's whoever is around the the basically the, the proximity of it doesn't really hear the notes. All they hear is the woo 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 woo, oh, and it's loud. Mm. I'm always amazed, Scott. Like I'm amazed how loud the drums are in front of the drums compared to when I'm behind the drums. I'm yeah. like, oh my yeah. gosh! Like if I have somebody sit in, and I go out into the audience, I'm like, holy shit! Drums are <laughs> yeah. loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of it's one of the things that I think that the hardest thing for a guitar player is to know beforehand, before the gig actually happens, how far should I set up away from the drums because if i set up too far away thinking oh it's going to be a really loud room and i'm going to get killed by cymbals then you sit up too far away and what ends up at the gig is that you feel like you're all alone and you <laughs> yeah. have to pump shit loads of drums into your monitor and that doesn't right. sound natural you know yeah. but then i'll if even say yeah, if you set yeah. up too close thinking that it's going to be a, a you know a dead room and i'm going to set and then you end up like at the baked potato where you're like where yeah. your ear is right under the crash symbol. Right. I'll ask you, I'll say, Hey, should I lower yeah. this thing? And you're like, yeah. So like, I'm a kind yeah, of team, right. team player. I don't, I don't care if the symbols lower, the symbols high. I want everybody to be vibing 
you know? Right. So I'm a lot of times, even with Mike, I can tell like Mike's like, I can, I can feel Mike getting at the baked potato, getting away from that ride symbol. And I totally get it. And I'm like, Hey Mike, should, should I just lower this ride symbol a little bit? And he'd be like, yeah, that'd be ruling. And then I just lower the ride. So I play the gig like that. It's like, you know, who am I trying to impress? I'm just, I'm actually just trying to, you know, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to just make music yeah. instead of like, oh, I got my ride symbol way the hell up here and it looks super cool. And I'm like in Dugu, you know, <laughs> well, you know and it's right in Scott's ear. You know how there's some gigs where you have time to appropriately address all that shit. And then sometimes you don't, and you just sort of like you're in a rush and you set up and yeah, it sounds okay. And then the gig comes, and then you find out that it doesn't sound okay at all. That like yeah. something's majorly wrong. Like if I had it to do right now, I would say to the audience, yeah. "We're going to reset up our gear because we're <laughs> concert hey. for you." So after the and first tune, I'm going to move my amp closer to the drums so that I yeah. don't feel like I'm completely like yeah. on an island all by myself. Yeah, yeah. or or like. Uh, um I just don't think you can get to anything if you're if you're conscious, if you're like insecure and uncomfortable, you can't get to anything. It's like you can't. How can you get how can you get anywhere, you know, spiritually connected with music if you're like if you're physically bombarded with toxicity, you Mm. know, yeah. how can you how can you get anywhere? It's hard, man. And, And you you and I have both played those clubs where you just we just look at each other and go it's going to be one of those nights let's just get through yeah, this let's just you know tip a little bit try to come down a bit and right right i mean did anybody think about turning down here that's what i'm saying i hate i hate to kind of be a like one of those old <laughs> fucking farts that's why you're here bruce <laughs> but turn down you know what I mean? turn the fuck down well you know bruce the thing is is that i understand what you're saying and i totally agree but for a drummer like Alan or Archie or Marvin Smitty Smith, you can only tell them to turn down so far, and then it's unnatural. Like, let, let me let me Alan tell you something. Smitty can play like a whisper, and they sound great. I've heard them both do it. I have yeah. not. I've heard Smitty play his soft kit very soft, but when he brings his big kit, no, you're wrong. He doesn't play soft. He plays loud. Because well, the drum set I mean, itself is loud. Yeah, but, um, but my point is, is I've heard him play super soft, and he's like one of the most. I have too. Yeah. But I've uh, but I've also played with with played with him with Kinsey, where he was fucking raging loud. And he sounds great then too. I know, yeah. but what I'm saying is that when you have a guy that brings a rock drum set to a gig. Like I saw you guys play with Cal Bop. I saw that little drummer you guys had. Yeah. That guy. That's a guy who, I don't mean any offense, that's not even a drummer. That's a timekeeper. He's playing so soft and so minimal that you barely even notice he's there. Now, when you get a drummer like Alan or Archie or Billy Cobham or Dennis Chambers or guys like that who bring a big-ass drum set to the gig, they don't have to hit it with all their might to make it loud. All they have to do is just play it at a medium volume, and it's going to be loud. And in certain rooms, it's going to be really loud. And and it's not their fault because that's just the that's just the instrument. It's just it's like 
I don't want them to have to fucking walk on eggshells and say, dude, get out your brushes. <laughs> Not, it, well, everybody, you everybody wants to, to be, everyone wants to hear themselves too. So, so yeah. when, when, when the, the collective ensembles level is up, you play, you play, you play bigger so you can hear yourself what you're doing. And when you're, you know, like when I would go down to the world stage and, and hang with Billy Higgins, when I, you know, when I was really focused on that style, um, it was just a whole different thing. Yeah. You, you could play, you could play smaller drums and you could hit them lighter and, and, uh, and you actually, you know, could do that thing. And it's like, there's no, there's no, no. And I've played, with I like Queens of the Stone Age, <laughs> you I've, know, I've they're bashing. Alan in so many different situations when you were playing so many different, uh, uh, sizes of drums. I've played with you when you were playing tiny little kits and we were playing really soft. And I've played with you when you were playing big kits and we were really playing pretty yeah. loud. But then again, we were in big rooms, so it was yeah. okay. Hey, Alan, yeah. what's uh, Alan over the years? It, you've obviously done a lot of recording sessions. Have you had some recording sessions where you have really stood out? They've been like, you know, kind of your pinnacle moments where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. Have you got some of those that you can share with us? Wow. Um, oh, sorry. Somebody's answering the question for me. <laughs> let me turn. Let me turn my phone off. Oh man, Burner. take the call. <laughs> you know, I like like when I always had this thing. I don't know. Somebody told me like, you know, don't don't get a gig. Like, be the gig. Somebody told me that once, and I was like, wow, that's a really interesting thing. Like, like so, I I used to like organize my own recording sessions a lot, like in my own bands and. And I was in the Bay Area, so the the Bay Area has a real band friendly vibe. You know, where here you kind of play in people's bands. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's harder yeah. to get a, a, at least for me, it's it's harder to get a band together, a band vibe, and want to get in a room and compose for free. Yeah, like right. who wants to live? Who wants to live in this town and? compose for, for free, free. <laughs> you know that's so um, hard to find those guys <laughs> so i was always making recordings with bands that i got together and that i had i co-composed with and um they were always just kind of like to bring around to the gigs mm. and to to try and sell them and i remember when garage mahal we did a we did a gig at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, this beautiful place. And Kai Eckhart got um, the bass player in the band got Zakir Hussein to come sit in with us. And I was like, "Oh, got to make it a live record." <laughs> so we asked Zakir if we could make it a live record, and some guy brought like two mics and uh, put them up on the front of the stage. And Zakir didn't even show up for rehearsal, and. Well, I mean, he showed up kind of sound checked. We didn't really, we rehearsed one rhythm and that was it. And he like, he telepathically just nailed everything. <laughs> he just sat there and like played all the, all the hits, all the meters, the whole thing, just telepathically. And we made this really nice live record and it got on a record label and this whole thing with two mics at the front of the stage. Wow. But maybe like, uh, you know, around when, I just just some more recent stuff like Scott's record that I played on was amazing experience and um Landau's record that I played on was was cool and 
That was really fun with him and his brother. Yeah. I didn't even know. We just got together at his house and played a bunch of played a bunch of tunes and he tracked it and made a record out of it. Um what else? Some of those Garage Mahal records are are really really How many really, records did you guys make? About nine. Wow, wow you made, made nine records. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. and the band I was with before that, the uh, KVHW with uh, Ray White from Zappa, mm-hmm. and uh, Kim Ock was playing guitar in that band, mm-hmm. um, and Bobby Vega. We did a lot of nice little recordings. So you, you, are you a North Bay guy? Yeah, I'm Sebastopol. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm San Francisco. So, oh, cool. Where are you? Where are you right now? Um, well, I'm in Carmel now, Carmel Valley. Ooh, but, rough. No, I grew up in San Francisco. That's where I play. That's cool. When, this when, last Bill Champlin record was fun too. Yeah, well, yeah, and I used to hang with Terry. Terry used to come into my gigs and hang and play. You know. Oh yeah. Did you know his dad? Like, did you? Where, was it back when I met him? I never knew it. You know. Yeah, he was cool, huh? Yeah. Alan, those Garage Mahal records, are they kind of the same lineup through all nine records, or did the lineup change as you progressed? Yeah, we did one record with the keyboard player that didn't stick, and then we brought in another keyboard player, and then... And then that was it, it was the same guys for eight records. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, I didn't know that. I didn't know you guys made so many records with that band. Yeah, but, like you know, like, uh, like the... the two mics in the front of the stage could yeah. be a record for it that like scene. you and freed right and kai mm-hmm. and what's the keyboard eric levy eric levy right who's now in the band night ranger oh that's mm. right he joined yeah. night ranger. and what's funny oh. is i i had worked with night ranger with uh with jack blades the producer i had engineered for them at, at jack blade studio before eric got the gig and so we were always telling jack me and this me and my other producer buddy we were always telling uh, telling Jack, like, man, you need to get Eric on keyboards for Night Ranger. And he's like, and Jack would always be like, oh, I don't know. We'll check him out, you know. <laughs> and then, like, 10 years later, he's been on the gig for a gazillion years, you know. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. So how many, how many mics do you need, Alan, to mic a drum kit? What can you get away with? For what? For Say if, say you got a home studio, you you don't know a lot about drums. How many how many can you get away with? And what like starting out, you know nothing. What suggestions do you have for our listeners that maybe guitarists oh, okay. that want to do yeah, some like drum a, min- a minimal mic a minimal miking thing? Yeah, a lot yeah. of times people just try to do like a stereo pair of overheads, and that doesn't work for me because because mics are they're they're really about like proximity. They're they're kind of like the pro- a proximity effect. Like if they're over the drums, what are they going to pick up the, the most? The cymbals, you know. If they're closer to the drums than the cymbals, what are they going to hear more? The drums, <laughs> um, you know. So I don't think it's really rocket science. I think I think Glenn Johns did it did a cool thing when uh, when he would record those big rock drummers with just a few mics. What he would do is he would come over the top of the drum set, right? Um, if you can see the drum set. Yep. He'd come over the top of the drum set and kind of get the rack tom, the snare drum, the hi-hats, and the crash cymbal with a nice mic. Drumming your crash and your hi-hat. Kind of in the middle of the drums over it. And then 
a, over to over your right shoulder, you'd have a mic that's kind of coming in on the floor, Tom, the ride cymbal. You'd get some of the kick drum from that mic too and the snare drum. So you just got to make sure that those two mics are hearing the snare drum about from the same distance. He never measured it though. Like, you know, he was asked, you ever pull out your tape measure? He's like, fuck no. <laughs>